Hello, and my name is Pete Rushmer, and I'm your host today of a Half Dozen Things podcast. A Half Dozen Things is a podcast for business owners just like you. Whether you're an underdog hungry for success or you're already smashing it but want to continue to level up, we are here each week for you to get insight and learning from the very best in the business. No fluff, no BS and no self-proclaimed gurus talking about how easy business or life is. Just real, raw and frank conversations. My curiosity and impatience in seeking success has encouraged me to create a Half Dozen Things podcast. I designed it to bring you simplicity and discovery back to the forefront of your lives. We are all such busy people, it's easy to overlook the simple things we could be doing to achieve wealth, success and happiness. Hi, I'm buzzing for you to be joining me today on a Half Dozen Things podcast. Today I'm on part two of Road Safety. I've got Richard Drury from Road Safety Smart and Charlotte Lemaire from DAC Beechcroft. And we're here talking about road safety for part two of our road safety series. And we're going to be focusing and talking about their resilience program, which is a proactive approach to road safety that all fleet operators of any size can take part in. So I really hope you enjoyed today's episode and catch you all soon. Hello and welcome back to Andrew and Charlotte for the second part of our road safety campaign on the Half Dozen Things podcast. Um, super pleased to have you guys join me again. And listeners, if you haven't already listened, please do listen to the to the first part of uh, the these recordings. Um, it's uh, we'll be alluding back to some of the topics that we've covered there. Um, but thank you very much, Andrew and Charlotte, for coming back to me. We've just entered lockdown 3.0, and um, how, how's it affecting you guys, and how's it affecting business? for you uh, well I guess from from my point of view Pete um we are obviously still critical workers in the sense that we still have to um be accessible to people who are having collisions or having um regulatory transport issues so we're still at the roadside at police stations and the difference I think with lockdown 3.0 um is that courts are still open and um, they're still functioning they've found a way to be COVID secure so um we're, we're still out and about to, to, to that extent really um but I guess working from home um, where we can when we're not out and about. So, uh, yeah, from my point of view, there's, there's not too much different from, from the last six or seven months. I think for me, Pete, uh, yeah, good to be back, everyone. Uh, I think for me, it's a case of same old, same old. Uh, I've been working from home for seven years now, so uh, it's not a huge difference. I think the main thing for me, and probably for the likes of yourself, it's how people have started to learn how to do things virtually. For, because the the need to do it instead of it just being a case of we're in the office you do it because you're in the office there's a way people have found the way around to do particularly like your type of job transport management from a virtual perspective and still stay compliant but I think it brings its different challenges in that respect as well uh, for you guys um, out and about on the shop floor who have never really managed staff remotely that's the big challenge and I think that's where Hopefully what we're doing and, and offering Charlotte and I is uh, will be a benefit to people really. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm quite fortunate in my role as a transport manager because I get to focus wholly on compliance. So I've no operational responsibility, so to speak, in that I just, I, I oversee sort of at arm's length from a compliance point of view. And when I say that, it's been quite interesting actually how I've evolved that into being a virtual or, or as virtual as possible role. And I've found that it, it is possible, but there are still 
in well, I still need to visit on a regular basis. I still have to be there in person. There's no getting away from it. However, there's been it's quite interesting how I've been able to delegate some of the responsibility to ensure that things are being done properly, and then and then sort of following up. So, um, but yeah, it's very very interesting as I sort of test and test and measure and essentially look at previous performance to ensure that we're continuing to perform to the same level. But I had a really good result um, this week. So an operator that I started working with 14 months ago was uh, Amber on their operator compliance risk score uh, with the DVSA. And it's been um, it's been hard going, but 14 months I've managed to get them. And they were quite low Amber. I managed to get them high green. So I'm, I'm really buzzing. That's a really good result. Great <laughs> so result is, that, is that on that end recognition then, Pete? Yeah, so we, we can start to look at earned recognition. Um, you, you can't when you're an amber operator, yeah. but when, once you're green, you're able to start looking at that. So, um, yeah, I'm really, really chuffed. And, and with the size of a business like that, so sort of 14, 14 months isn't a bad isn't a bad result. We've had a couple yeah. of good visits. We've, we've volunteered ourselves for, for inspections and stuff like that as well. So mm -hmm. uh, that all makes a positive impact. So, yeah, dead chuffed with that. So um, excellent. So with this session, um, we, I've spent a bit of time looking at a resilience offer, which is offered by DAC Beechcroft, um, who, who Charlotte and Andrew are sort of representing today. And there's a few packages available for resilience. Now, I'm not sure who to go to first, because as we lined up this, this episode, uh, we were saying there's 17 key uh, critical areas, Andrew. So um, <laughs> maybe I'll go to Charlotte on this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but tell us a bit more about the resilience package um, and, 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 and what that offer is. So Andrew and I came together, um, as I think we said in the previous podcast, if hopefully people have listened to that. Um, we first met um, actually November 19, um, doing a joint training session. And then we came together in, um, in fact, in March when the lockdown first came on to talk about what we can do in terms of um, proactively helping fleets however big or small um reduce their risk become safer on the roads um, and therefore actually um help them reduce their costs eventually so things like their insurance premiums or, or, or um different things like that their excess payments um following the collisions that they they were having and what we do very well um as solicitors is we're there when people need us in terms of when the disaster strikes which of course we always will be but what we wanted was to come up with something that would help um prevent disaster in as much as possible because obviously collisions will always happen but what we want to do is try to minimize that um, and try to get get people thinking about health and safety in a different way so resilience was born um out of a, a joint will if you like from from Andrew and I in, in, in terms of trying to um to get a, a better record of safety within the industry in general so yeah we do have these um 17 points we don't have to talk about all 17 but we, we essentially um the, some of the main points in terms of the benefits of, of resilience and we can go into the different bits and pieces we can do um in the different packages which I think I'll let Andrew go through in a second but I guess in terms of benefits our aim is reducing the claims exposure, as I've said, so that's savings on indemnity spend through to things like needlessly conceding liability when, when you don't necessarily need to. So it's having, having that greater control at the beginning, reducing excess payments, um, improving accuracy and reducing claims reserves, which of course um, insurers and, and brokers are always interested in, and developing that consistency of um, investigating each collision, however minor, um, over all the different locations. So ensuring that there is consistency there in terms of the questions asked um, and investigating them all in the same way. 
so that you get to look at trends and what's happening um, within, within the company um, and reactively managing the issues efficiently and also cost effectively because you'll know as, as, as a transport manager and in your experience that actually it's really, really difficult um, to do that job and also manage all the health and safety aspects um, of that job because it is, a, it is obviously a really busy job, whatever kind of fleet that you're managing. So it's to kind of take that pain away from the transport managers as well is the service that Resilience provides. Of course, improving health and safety and, and compliance. And one of the main natural benefits for me is that is re reducing the exposure of companies to the fines from um, HSC or from enforcement authorities like the DVSA and Traffic Commissioner and just having that immediate regulatory support and um, following any road traffic collision. Um, and it also, of course, it includes um, having a 24-7 access to um, a crisis response line, um, which I think is really important if the worst does happen. So those, those are some of the kind of advantages. There are more. I don't think I've mentioned 17 there. <laughs> but but, but there, are, there are more. But I think, I mean, Andrew, I don't know whether, well, I think you will want to add to that. I, I will. I, I, you've put it together very succinctly for you, Charlotte, for a change, uh, mm -hmm. and kept the wording down. I think one of the things there that Charlotte touched on is, is helping the transport managers. I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't want to be a transport manager for all the money in the world. I, I don't think I don't think people get the right recognition for the amount of work that's involved. And I don't think a lot of people understand how demanding it is. Um, and you guys need assistance out there. Um, and I think working with a third party brings it People think it's going to cost a lot of money, but it doesn't in the long term. But I think what it does is bring a different aspect to your role and what you, how you view internally your own company's way of working. Because we work with so many different companies, we see different good and bad behaviours. So what we're trying to do with resilience is bring all the good behaviours under one package because we're learning from other companies and, and other clients to show what is really, really over and above minimum standards, but what is really good best practice. And if we can share those those findings with, with clients going forward, I think it makes it a really, a really bespoke product in that solicitors are well known just to be reactive. So for a solicitor to suddenly offer something that is proactive, which builds a relationship before hypothetically and at some point it will happen, a disaster of some sort will occur, that you need to work with your solicitor. At least you've built a relationship and you've got a really good footing straight away to, to have a communication and an open communication because we've asked a lot of questions in the first instance to get the packaging, the right packages in place and the right support packages in place. But we know a little bit more about the company and how you work on a day-to-day -day basis, to, which makes our job of defending those incidents and mitigating those incidents a lot easier. But probably in a simple term, resilience is, is probably more an assurance product than an, an insurance product. It's there to be called on as and when you need it. It's there to be used and abused. It's not there to be used only when I desperately need it. So the more people interact with it when, they, when we sign them up with them and start the, start the journey to make improvements, the better because the relationship develops and there's no questions then that you'd, either party would be afraid to ask or answer sort of thing. Absolutely got you. And um, I think, I think it's, it's a fantastic solution. So um, can you just outline, so first of all, um, this is something that's for, for grey fleet. So a lot of people listening will anticipate 
based on on me speaking to you guys that it involves hgvs which of, of course it will do but also it'll be across vans and company car drivers as well right yeah so with regards to the 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 varying packages what can um and, and and i see there's there's three you've got driver resilience and fleet resilience and then business resilience as you sort of stage stage the the, the how comprehensive the the offer is to uh, to clients so um can you just sort of break down for example the entry level driver resilience what what will people get out of that package so the driver resilience um includes the 24-7 crisis response um, helpline. Um, there's a gap analysis, audit and report, um, developing driving safety for work policies, authority to drive policies, um, developing a driver handbook, um, collision and incident report training for um, drivers and the um, managers, identifying driver training requirements. Um, so of course, just going in there and actually looking at what they need because every individual company is, is, is of course different. Um, and fortnightly road safety awareness communications. So that's kind of the entry level. Um, there are, of course, two of the different levels, but I think it's also important at this stage to say that we recognise that different companies, and depending on the size of the fleets and what the fleets, of course, include, just like you say, grey fleets or HGV or, or, or whichever, we recognise that every company potentially needs something different. So again, these are, um, and, and the documentation is, when we send it out, is 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 there to, to give you a taste of, of, of what we've put together and what we think um, the different packages will, will need and offer. But actually, we are quite flexible um, in terms of putting a bespoke package together for different companies. So it, it's not just looking at that and saying, OK, we have to have everything in driver resilience and nothing from fleet or actually we'd quite like a bits of that and bits of this. We can actually tailor it. I think it's important that, that, that companies understand that we can do that. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, it is so important because everyone's operation is so different as well, isn't it? So I, yeah. I, what I like about this this offering that you have is that it provides a framework. So it's got a robust framework, which you're I, I, are then, are then tailoring to the organisation and the needs of the organisation. You got anything to add on that, Andrew? Yeah, I have. I think you summed it up really well there, Pete. The drive resilience is the fundamentals to get everything else right, in, to get everything in place going further down the line as you start working up from the up to the top of the company. Because without understanding how your drivers perform and without having the right guidance and, and protocols in place, your drivers could be a bit of a loose cannon. And we've seen an incident recently over the weekend that, that, that came to light in Commercial Motor Magazine about the driver who was killed somebody January last year, but he'd, been, he'd had his license revoked 36 days, I think it was three or four weeks before. Um, so we we would probably be able to help identify those things for a customer, and that is such a catastrophic incident to have one for the drivers being totally deliberately negligent to to go out on the road when he's banned. He knows he's banned from driving, but has a company being aware that he's he's lost his license in that meantime. So the fundamentals are what everybody needs to look at, and if we can get them right at the beginning, the follow-on stages are, are quite simplistic in that respect because they just follow on seamlessly. Um, and I think the big one for me is the collision incident reporting and, and how you investigate those things, because all your policies and processes will be formulated around what your understanding is of a collision or an incident or a near hit or a near miss, as most people call them. But it's effectively it's a near hit. If we can learn from them, 
they will they will shape your handbook your driver handbook they will shape your authority to drive and, and certain questions you ask and your drivers and your driving safely for work policy and all the other policies that come behind it because there's so many lessons to learn from a near hit because we learn more from the near misses and the near hits than you do from actual collisions so they're the most important things that we really want that the driver resilience lets us do uh, and and formulates everything going forward Perfect. Yeah, I think um, I, I look at the offering and that, and those that are interested having having a listen, obviously, um, I'm sure Charlotte or Andrew would be happy to send over a, a fact sheet over what's involved in resilience. But when I look at it, there, there's certain elements that any good fleet should have. Um, for example, a, a, a decent driver handbook and a, a driving safely at work policy. Um, but I've come across operators who don't who haven't formalised fully those agreements, or they're working on a really old driver handbook that hasn't been reviewed in recent um, in, in recent times. So one of the things with this being like a subscription model is that something where the operator also benefits from like if there's a legislation change or an expectation change, you're able to support them by rolling out that that meeting the new criteria for whatever's required in that policy as well yeah so that's the point really that like you i've come across a lot of companies that even yes they may have these things but actually um it's not their fault they don't know what they don't know so they develop these things and 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 they think that that everything's in place and everything's fine but actually there are things that that are in there that shouldn't be or that maybe aren't in there and what we do is we work with them to help them better those documents even if they they do have them because like you say most companies obviously will have them um but then of course it's like you say it's to it's to work with them to update those things so they get benefit they get the benefit of having access to changes in legislation and or the law or best practice um and and they have that from two sides because they have it from the industry from andrew because obviously he's thoroughly embedded in that industry um and has been for years um, from from that side of it but they also then have the legal side from me so the, so they're getting those updates and they're getting um you know best practice updated all the time so it isn't just a document that then is left and 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 gets dusty on the shelf and isn't updated it's something you know they've got access um to, to the to the updates um legally and within the industry and i think that's that's one of the most important things as you've said is keeping them up to date without having to do it themselves because as you've both said let's face it it's a very very difficult job yeah absolutely and um you know i i, I like um as, as we as we sort of evolve through those different offerings uh, we start to look at sort of the fleet resilience uh package which is the the sort of second second step up and it's slightly more robust and in-depth and we're looking at things like alcohol and drugs uh substance misuse policy which is increasingly vital um at, at the moment and um I, I suppose the the best practice there will be about having a policy and a process in place for spot spot checking drivers um yeah. as well as uh the, the one of the things that i've noticed with some of the operators i've worked with previously is there's a bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards speeding as well um and, and i see that there's a speeding policy in there so um andrew are you able to just sort of explore a bit more what those what those policies what the different policies are in the second level in fleet resilience please yeah in the fleet resilience they're probably the policies now that are most relevant because of covid during and probably when we're going to come out of post-covid because speeding has been a big issue although there's less traffic on the road but speeding is still a big issue i still think i think there's still about two thousand speed awareness courses being done a day in the UK at the minute 
that's that's how how popular they are for want of a better way, way of putting it but i think your fitness to drive policy incorporates all the things you, then you've got your alcohol drugs and substance misuse policy and i think they are the, probably the two most important policies at this moment in time for anybody because people have not driven for a long time people may have started suffering with mental health during the last nine to ten months and, and going forward over the next few months as well People, we know the statistics are there. People are drinking more at home. People are taking more drugs. I think in Merseyside alone, the, the, the drug failure rate at the roadside is up 400% during COVID. Um, alcohol misuse and alcohol uh, drug failures, uh, alcohol failures at the side of the road are up 250% in Merseyside. So people are drinking more. So if your staff are going back out to work, are you aware that they are fully fit and legal to go to work the following day because they've got used to working from home. People may even start having a drink over lunchtime now and then go to start going to a meeting in the afternoon. You need to be aware of that as an employer. And this, these are the sorts of things that we've identified over through our expertise, expertise and experience over the years that policies have failed the stress test when they've been called upon. And we're trying to identify, we're trying to close those loopholes all the time. And that's why they need reviewing each year because Things will change, protocols will change, regulation will change, and they're the most important ones at this moment in time. And I think the mobile phone use as well is a really big one because communication is being key during COVID. And it's not just the case of using the phone for a call, it's for doing the Zoom meetings, your Teams meetings, whatever. And people are using them while they're driving to have a Teams meeting or a, or a Zoom meeting um, and the virtual meetings. So they're the most important ones, I think, that we see as the fatal four fatal five in in the country for the most common incidents uh, but they're the ones that probably cause most employers headache would you say charlotte when you have to get involved post one of those incidents yeah yeah it's, it's it there are different ones but actually the big ones are speeding mobile phone use it's distract it's avoiding avoidable distractions um and of course yeah the the alcohol and drugs um it, it have been quite a big issue for a while but but it, it, it's it's getting bigger actually and I think Covid has accelerated that in, in a strange way because I think people are suffering much more with mental health and I think w one thing has an effect on the other doesn't it yeah I, I think Pete just just to sum, sum up something you uh, add to something you said before about and Charlotte about health and safety uh, and there's should health and safety run fleet operations I think that's a question some some operators or employers need to, to ask themselves. There's a lot of overlap, but fleet management, is, as you are aware, is very different, whether it's a, a lorry, whether it's a bus, minibus, car, motorcycle. The, 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 the issues that, uh, that come up through driving for work are very different to incidents that happen in the workplace. Uh, so again, should people think about a fleet part of the fleet resilience product of setting up a, a separate fleet section that runs next to the health and safety department within their organization because there's different things to consider yeah absolutely and i think i think i think what's what what the beauty of the resilience product that you, that you guys are offering is that it's um it runs nicely uh, uh alongside but raises awareness of the different challenges which are unique to the driving for work sector um of, of health and safety it's, it's their unique challenges um that aren't experienced elsewhere in manufacturing and um in warehousing and in uh, other other sorts of uh 
industries but particularly in in logistics in transport um and in any any business where people are driving for work um so just moving on to the 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 the, the sort of top category which was the business resilience i see that in in that you're starting to offer a more bespoke level of developing management processes and procedures for relevant policies um and and also management and analytics are you able to just sort of um andrew i'll just bring you in there from an analytics point of view what what sort of what are you analyzing um and what should operators be analyzing on a regular basis because i know from experience a lot of operators are looking at driver's hours because they have to based on legislation um but actually those um you know the the the, the telematic systems are actually offering operators a lot more data that potentially they're not doing anything with um are you able to just explore that a bit more for me please yeah i can i think the development of the policy, the processes and procedures goes with the analytics because most people have a policy, but they don't have the procedures and processes behind it. But the data management, regardless of whether it's from your telematics or other sources that you get that you can gather data from, are vital. The failure, I think in the old days, go back 10 years, I say the old days, it's only 10 years ago, as telematics really kicked in and the dash cams really kicked in, I think they were just seen as a case as an issue to reduce collisions, save fuel, um, and and look at harsh braking and idling. They were probably the four main things. If we really looked at it properly, a camera doesn't stop a collision because it doesn't change. It, it's not driving the vehicle. The camera helps change a driver behaviour, and that's what people should be looking at and working with their, their their telematics companies. And we we do that for them. Is ask the the data provider and the person who's collating the data to provide the right data on a daily or a weekly basis that simplifies the process. And I think this is where people have got frightened with data management. There's so much data being collated, they don't know where to start. So we look at the processes for each individual client. And when you've done your gap analysis and your annual audit, we'll see which areas need the most, where we need to get the most data from to make the most improvements. Um, but knowing that you're using the data and managing the data is vital because we know if you don't manage the data, it'll come out and bite you on the backside when you go to the tra- uh, traffic commissioner, when you go to the public inquiry or you end up in court because it's been there for three months, but you've never used it. Why haven't you used it? That will be the first question. And most people say I haven't had the time to do it. So this is where we can help to, is decipher them and clear the fog a little bit to show to explain to them which areas they need to concentrate on at any given time but don't ignore everything else that's going on behind the scenes as well so it's about having a process isn't it the the problem is that you can have brilliant policies they can they're all shiny and new you can have all this data that you gather on speed um and on different things that, that that your vehicles might be able to do but the problem is the moment that you have that data as a company you immediately put yourself in a in a problem situation if you don't analyze it and do something with it so if for example over a few months period if you can see that that a driver in a van or or whatever is consistently going a little bit quicker than than they should be or there are problems on with with some of that data that you're gathering but actually nobody really looks at it and nobody does anything with it then immediately if something happens not only is is the driver uh, has the driver got a problem of course um from a criminal perspective but actually so as a company because they haven't done anything with that data so it's just about 
working with them to have the processes and support in place to look at what the data is, analyze it properly for them and actually do something with it. That's the main thing from a legal perspective, because immediately you put yourself on the back foot. If you're not going to look at the data, you don't have anything that captures it, because actually you're in a better position by doing that legally than if you have all the, all the things to capture it, but actually do nothing with it. I also think it's, in addition to that, Charlotte, and to back it up, the technology providers are adding solutions and adding data capture all the time, Pete. So in a lot of instances, without the client realizing they're catching, capturing extra data or they're capturing more safety-related issues because of the enhancements of AI and things like that, it's, it's, it's amazing what the data can show you now and what the, the images can show you. The, the images show you what's happened, but they don't explain how it's happened or why it's happened. I think that's the big thing we have to get around as well. And that's what the whole resilience package is. We'll understand everything about every incident involving one of our clients uh, because nothing will be left unturned. But then we'll use those findings that everybody goes on about root causes. It's not a term that I particularly like, I think because you're aggregating a lot of data together, but for individual clients, every client works slightly differently. They both might have work in the, in the cement industry, but the way they work is different and the types of vehicles they use is different. So you can't really compare one client to another. A client, we need to use the data to compare the client's performance now when they sign us up to the date to how their performance is 12 months, two years, three years down the line. The only benchmark we would use is our client. There's no point in using another client because in a, in, with a similar fleet size or whatever because they don't work the same way. It, it, it shouldn't be done. So our yeah. benchmark is the first year when we go in, use the data, keep using the data, keep analyzing it, keep improving everything that's there. And then you see the drop of the incidents, the savings on fuel, the savings on uh, staff turnover, all training, all sorts of things then come into it. And there, the benchmark, that's where the data really shows its work yeah. and, and how should, the product works. As, as we always say in life, you should only really compete to become a better version of yourself. So <clears> you shouldn't really compete against different different fleets or different companies, because of course, like Andrew said, you, no, no company is the same. You should be trying to better yourself, better your own records, better your own standards. And that, that's really where we come from. Yeah, I, um, I I think that's a fantastic uh, that's a fantastic way of looking at it because particularly in my experience, having gone in and audited lots of different operators of different shapes and sizes, they are all individual unique businesses with individual unique challenges as well. And um, I think uh, I think I think that's that's an excellent approach. And one of the things that I really find a challenge, really find a challenge, particularly in the transport sector. I know I know this is a package that that is far broader than just the transport sector itself, but um, one of the challenges I find is is those those cultural challenges within organisations about being proactive and not reactive. It, it's it's often felt, you know, I'll, I'll go in and I've been requested to do an audit um, by an operator because they've had a um, that they've gone to the TC and they're not being granted uh, an application for uh, increased fleet size, for example. And you know, a previous audit has picked up that there's no um, there's no way of monitoring speeding, for example which would have been resolved as part of your speeding policy with this. Um, and, and I come across customers or, or clients and operators who, who sort of deal, deal with these things retrospectively all the time. Um, how, in your experience, how do operators who are so reactive fare against 
operators who are far more proactive and they they work more on their culture and they work more on on training drivers up front and understanding um the the different challenges they face and 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 the, the data as well How, what what are the real differences tangibly when it goes to you know the the, the heart, harsh end of being in the you know in in the court for example yeah so so legally obviously it has it it has immediate um kind of differences because obviously if you have a culture of being reactive of dealing with safety issues of, of not putting cost above above that um of, of trying trying really to to be the best that you can be even if something goes wrong um a court can see that actually it might just be because of a of a, of a I guess an isolated issue or something that then you're going to you're going to take on and in fact in sentencing and the just the general way that you treated is going to be a lot different so in, in in terms of any fine that a company might receive or even actually getting prosecuted in the first place if they can see that they've got a really good proactive um attitude to health and safety that just carries so much weight all the way through the investigation process it might make the difference between being charged and not charged it might just just be an improvement notice or a discussion rather and, and something more collaborative rather than something well hang on a minute this company really has a flagrant disregard only really reacts when something happens so in fact we need to we need to make an example for, of this company and that then is, is often what happens um and i think just from a, and andrew can probably speak more to this but just from a company point of view i actually probably think that it helps in terms of your staff retention and and different things because i think if if drivers and, and people can see that they their health and safety is genuinely cared about and it's not just a tick box exercise and they can see that there genuinely are really good systems in place i i think from a a general workforce and retention point of view you've also got that difference to my mind anyway andrew i don't know what else you can add to that yeah uh i, I totally agree i think one of the things i've found because we go back to the collision instance investigations at the minute a lot of a lot of companies in the past have the drivers had a collision Oh, he's to blame or she's to blame. We want to get rid of them, but we've got to we've got to do the investigation for insurance, or we need to interview them for insurance purposes. So we won't dismiss them until we've done the investigation or you've interviewed them. But when you actually in investigate, you then find out drivers have a lot of knowledge about the company and about the way a company works. And I think employers should realise that that a lot of Drivers don't just turn up and get in the wagon, do the walk around check or get in the car and go out on the sales or whatever. They know a lot about the company and the workings of the company and they shouldn't underestimate that. And some drivers have a lot of really good industry knowledge and come up with a lot of good ideas of how things can be improved. So what we're, what the whole thing does when, when you look at things is it's not uh, it's not just a case of a driver the problem starts with the driver the driver is an employee of the employer so the problem rare a lot of problems will start within the the organization before it even reaches the driver and the driver is only doing what they've been trained to do and when you you look at things and learn things this industry the the, the motor industry is not very good at learning from its mistakes unlike aviation unlike marine unlike rail um where they have separate investigation departments. If a, if a catastrophic incident happens, I think it's only recently that I think December, the RAC Foundation have put a record, finally put a recommendation forward to PACS uh, to say, we should, should there be a separate investigatory body for major catastrophic road incidents, which would probably involve a commercial vehicle or two or three. Because 
you will know, Pete, being a transport manager, if your one of your clients is involved in a, a really bad incident, you know they're going to turn up in front of the traffic commissioner, a PI, at some point. But do you wait for the findings of the PI before you start making changes, or do you make changes straight away to show that you've started learning lessons sooner rather than later? And that's exactly what Charlotte's saying. Those that put processes in place and you start learning from the mistakes straight away, and a lot of the times they'll only be minor mistakes that cause a catastrophic incident. But if we can show that we learn, and this is what the whole resilience package does, it puts that process in place to learn from as soon as the incident happens and not for when the court case finishes and a company says, how much has it cost us? How much is my insurance going to go up for it? How long is the driver going to be out of work or banned from, from driving or whatever, or how long have they been sent to prison? That's the end point. We should learn from that end point. And that's what, again, what resilience does, which is different for a solicitors. It will do a, a, a gap analysis of the case at the very end to see what's worked really well all the way through and what needs looking at to improve think, going forward. I think for me um, and, and for Andrew as well, I think what we're getting at is if you get the behaviours right, then everything else will follow. So if, if you, from the top down, sort your policies, sort your procedures, make sure that that's rolled out and implemented properly, get your drivers on board and get them understanding why it's important, because if management understand why it's important, then that, that's the start of it, isn't it? Then I think it's having the drivers understand why it's important and changing the behaviour all the way through an organisation. And then I think everything else follows. The safety record follows, um, you know, the, 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 the good work that you do. Everything that you do starts with a good behaviour. I think uh, I, th I think a fantastic point because behaviour and culture or, or culture that leads to um, the, the right behaviours, positive behaviours is... Um, is absolutely vital and uh, I think um, you know sort of rounding it back off I suppose is that the resilience gives that opportunity for operators to be or, or, or fleets to be proactive um, in the way that they manage their risk in, in the way that they manage their compliance um, and, uh, and and proactivity all the way through the board will will increase cultural and behavioral preference and and, and improve behavioral preference as well because things are being done proactively rather than reactively um you know certainly um and, and sort of a last point for me is you know historically i've worked for a blue chip company and i worked on the road regularly and the comp and the company vehicle had a black box in it and i knew that i was graded on a red amber green regularly based on the, mm -hmm. the telematics and what that was telling me and uh you know the blue chip company the, the only time that anything was ever investigated was if there was an accident and um you know straight away we knew we knew as staff that it's all well good it's all well and good talking the talk but actually walking the walk is what's important when it comes to cultural change and, and to improving people as well so um thank you both so much for joining me andrew and charlotte really do appreciate it is there any sort of final thoughts um from you andrew um just before we finish off i hope what we've we've discussed over the two sessions has been really helpful for everybody that that, that tunes in i think also it's probably worthwhile raising the point for those of you who use subcontractors, this would help you manage your subcontractors as well, because what we do for you as an individual would also transpond straight over to the to the subcontractor that, or subcontractors that you use. So it then spreads that better culture further afield um, to, to reduce everybody's exposure and hopefully reduce collisions at the end of the day. 
Thank you very much, Andrew. That's almost a third session, that managing subcontractors, <laughs> getting them to adhere to company culture and policy. <laughs> I think we've opened a whole new kind of world there, Andrew. Thank you very much, Dave. I, I really appreciate you joining me. Charlotte, is there anything that, that you'd just like to add that I've maybe not, not covered yet? I think we've covered everything, Pete. I think um, hopefully people understand um, what it's about. Um, and I think if people from the top um, can see how it's going to help, then that's only going to help um, throughout the company as we've said it is about behavior and I think that's where resilience starts and I think the sooner that companies can get on board with something like this um, and see what what we can help them with um, then the, the better it will be in the future and the safer the roads will be as well. Appreciate it um, th thank you both very much um, these these two sessions have really aligned with 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 my vision of improving road safety and, um, and, and and the cultural impact that I want to have with my transport operators and and knowing knowing so many operators, knowing so many transport managers, and even even um, you know like insurance brokers as well. I recommend any of you really that this this product's a great solution, and it's really worth reaching out to Andrew or Charlotte and having a conversation and just exploring um, if it's something that's worth worth offering to to your client base, particularly particularly insurance brokers. I would say when you're looking to reduce fleet uh, insurance costs and to offer value-added services i would say this is this is a great proactive solution so um thank you both for for joining me and um really really do uh, appreciate it and thank you everyone for listening if you've enjoyed it please do share it and uh, and we look forward to speaking again soon take care bye-bye